The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms with your host, Rev. Galen McDowell, Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. This is the program for spiritually enlightening discussion, interviews, and the practical application of new thought principles to transform your life. Now, here's your host, Rev. Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and I'm the Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple. And I was, uh, I'm excited about this new series, Discover the Power Within You. Um, if you want to obviously get more of this type of teaching and you are of, in the Chicagoland area, uh, please stop by Christ Universal Temple. Check us out every 1030 every Sunday morning, 10.30 a.m. to 12 noon, uh, to hear our senior minister, the Reverend Derek B. Wells, preach a powerful new thought, truth, and lesson. Also, if you don't live in the area, you can check out our live stream at www.cutemple.org. That's www.cutemple.org. Today we're continuing on our series on based upon the book, Discover the Power Within You by Eric Butterworth. And today's chapter is Jesus's unique concept of God, Jesus's unique concept of God. And I requested that everyone get this book and actually read along with actually read ahead of the courses. You know, there are online versions available. Somebody even put, I believe, a version on my Facebook page, purchase the book or Download it to your Kindle or your iPad or your computer or your phone or whatever you need to do. But please get the book. I'm not getting any book money from this. You know, this is a HarperCollins uh, print. So I'm sure HarperCollins and Eric Butterworth's family gets whatever money needs to be uh, that needs that's accumulated from the sales of this book. But I so believe in this book that I'm teaching it chapter by chapter. So it's really important that you have the material. Now, starting on page 27, it starts off with a quote by Charles Fillmore, who was the co-founder of Unity. And it states, the starting point in spiritual realization is a right understanding of that one designated as the almighty. So the starting point in spiritual realization, thinking and feeling, making it real for you, is a right understanding. In other words, How we think about God matters. How we conceptualize God matters. What we believe about God matters. 
what we think about the nature of God and God's will matters. How we process theological conversation matters. What you think about God will shape many things in your life unconsciously. So Eric Butterworth starts off by saying Jesus had a unique concept of God to him. God was not an object of worship, but a presence dwelling in us, a force surrounding us and a principle by which we live. Now, that's a powerful two sentences. Those are two powerful sentences, rather, excuse me. To him, God was a, not an object of worship. For many of us, we think that when we use words of worship, we're actually lifting up God, but we're actually lifting up our consciousness. The universe still functions whether you praise or you worship. God doesn't need anything to be God. God doesn't need anything. So why do we praise? Why do we worship? Because we are lifting our own consciousness. We are lifting and becoming aware of the goodness of God. And one of the ways in which the human soul does that is through praise and through worship. But anyway, so Mr. Butterworth goes on and says, but a presence dwelling in us. So, again, instead of us reaching out to God, Jesus taught that this God was a presence that indwells us. Two totally different concepts. You can't, you know, then he says a force surrounding us. So, yes, God dwelling in us is imminent, but God is also transcendent. God is also omnipresence, a force surrounding us. So, as it is written in the, the book of Acts and attributed to the Apostle Paul, in him we live, move, and have our being. So we live in the presence of God, even though our point of contact with this presence is within us. Then it goes on to say, and a principle by which we live. So this helps us understand that this is a universe that is governed by divine law. This is a universe that is governed by divine law. So this presence is within us, indwells us. It's a force surrounding us. I'm not presence. And it is the principle. The underlying plan is another way of saying principle. Principle also means the way a thing works by which we live. So there is a way life works properly. That's another way of looking at it. It is a way in which God as principle functions in the universe. He goes on to say, it is not too much to say that anyone who catches the idea of Jesus's concept will find himself caught up in a new consciousness that will change his whole life. He will never be the same again. So, again, working from the understanding that once we really grasp what Jesus taught about God, then we can walk into the consciousness that Jesus established. And then we can follow him when he said, these works I do, you can do. And even greater works. Now, obviously, we still need to catch up with to the works before we can start working on the greater works. But it's possible. Because what is true about Jesus 
is still true about you, that God is a presence dwelling in us, a force surrounding us, and a principle by which we live. Moving on now, he talks a lot about people's beliefs in God and, you know, atheists and many other things I'm not going to get into. Um, I'll let you read that on your own. Only My only comment to that is people have a lot of different concepts of God. So when you ask somebody, do you believe in God? That does not mean they believe the same thing you believe. Just if you ask somebody, are you a Christian? Does not mean they believe the same thing you believe. If you ask somebody, are you new thought? Does not mean they believe the same thing you believe. Everybody has their own personal theology that is integrated into uh, whatever religion or lack of religion they practice. Some belief about God, even if it's no God, where you live your life as if it's no God, atheist, or you don't know, agnostic, you live as if you don't know. But everyone has their own personal theology, what they think about God, whether they believe God exists or not. It's still a theology because it's a God talk. Anyway, he, uh, Mr. Butterworth goes on on page 28. And he talks about, excuse me, uh, a quote from this uh, book, Honest to God by Bishop John Robinson. It's a beautiful quote, so I'm going to read it in its entirety. The idea of a God spiritually or metaphysically out there dies very hard. Most people would be seriously disturbed by the thought that it should not, should that it should need to die at all. For it is their God. Now, that's key. For it is their God. And they have nothing to put in its place. And for the words they and their, it would be more honest to substitute we and our. For it is the God of our upbringing and conversation. The God of our father and our religion, which is under attack. Every one of us lives with some mental picture of a God out there, a God who exists above and beyond the world he made, a God to whom we pray and to whom we go when we die. So he's basically saying the concept of the man upstairs, the concept of somebody up there likes me, the concept of, uh, you know, this other world God that lives in some other dimension that we call heaven that imposes on our life, on our lives. And sometimes the ways we don't know or understand it, understand dies very hard. It is very challenging at times for people to give up their concept of God. They'll die and kill for their concept of God. That needs to be understood. People will kill for the, and we're seeing that all over the world with re- religions and uh, that sometimes, well, we're not going to say religion can talk peace and still people end up fighting. You know, one of the things that um, I, I, I'll say catches my attention is when, even when I hear gospel songs that talk about the battle and the fight and being Christian soldiers, you know, A God that needs me to fight is a God I don't need to follow or express. Because if I 
am one with the one power, then why am I in battle mode? But but anyway, moving on. On page 28 at the bottom, he says, the problem has been that we have been conditioned to think of the God concept of the Old Testament. It is not properly explained to us that the Old Testament is the story of the unfoldment of the God idea and the relationship of man with God. Then he gives a lot of explanation about Moses and the ark and how people had this very um, local concept of God. That's the best way I can say it. You know, you know, they traveled with the ark of the covenant and, uh, you know, because they thought that that's what, where God dwelt or in the Mount Sinai or in the Solomon's temple etc etc and then jesus came along teaching this concept of god is spirit now i want to just say this one thing about this because it's not a point of disagreement with eric butterworth but i do think i need to expand on it there are parts of the new testament that are just as violent as the old testament you know sometimes you know you'll hear things like well you know that's how the Old Testament was. With the New Testament, Jesus taught love. Yeah, Jesus did teach love. But there is components of the New Testament that are very apocalyptic. You know, many of the early Christians thought that they were a part of end days. Many of them thought that the world was going to be, you know, um, as we know it, destroyed and a new one would replace it. Uh, they used a lot of imagery. The Apostle Paul, without a shadow of a doubt, at one stage of his teachings, was teaching what we would now call the second coming. They believed that it would be in their lifetime, many of them. Um, there were things attributed to Jesus. I don't, I'm not going to say that they were his teachings. Uh, that's debatable amongst scholars in Matthew and in Mark about, you know, you know, Things to come, et cetera, et cetera. So this was a dominant idea. The book of Revelation is full of, full of violent symbology. Now, metaphysically interpreted, that book is beautiful. And I, uh, one or soon will get around to doing the book of Revelation, but it, as I believe I stated before, that would take me a, at least a solid year to do. So that requires a little bit more research. But anyway. We have this backdrop of thinking old versus new. There are concepts of God that that are just as liberating in the Old Testament. You know, you know, where can I go to flee from your spirit? Psalm one thirty nine, or be still and know that that I am God, or ye are gods, etc. That Jesus is attributed to quoting from um Psalm 82.6, which also is quoted in John 10.34. So there are times when what we call the elevated consciousness that Jesus represented was taught, especially by many of the prophets, many beautiful writings in the book of Isaiah. You know, the book of Isaiah is actually written by three different people in three different eras, but I'm not teaching the book of Isaiah. The point that I'm making is this. It's not an old versus new. Is how God was presented by the individual author. Because we have to remember the, the Protestant Bible is 66 books. So each book has a, its own unique way they present God. 
the four gospels have a unique way of how they present Jesus. The epistles of Paul present how Paul understood Jesus and the gospel. The other epistles have their own unique concept of what they understand God and Jesus and Jesus's teachings to be. The book of Revelation is its own thing all by itself, which leans heavily on books like Ezekiel and Daniel. And without people understanding the Hebrew symbology in the book of Revelation, they literalize it. So it's important to understand that you're not talking about old versus New Testament. Now, I'm going to use some, I'm going to teach the contrast that he teaches as Jesus is showing how Jesus's concept shifted and that shifted what they understood to be Judaism at the time, because Jesus wasn't seeking to start a new religion per se. His movement was a sect within Judaism that really was there as a reformation movement. He was trying to reform it, bring it back to a spiritual roots and not being so much so literal that the religion became more important than the people or even more important than the experience of God. It doesn't make sense for religion to not work for the people. It doesn't make sense for it not to point you back to seeking your own experience with God. In other words, when the rules become oppressive and they don't promote the continued expansion of the soul, the liberation of the soul, etc., what ends up happening is that's something that needs to be reevaluated. And the reason why I'm going so hard on this point is because I've done some, you know, recent, recent research within the last couple of years uh, based upon some of the things that were in the Old Testament. And Jesus took on the call of many of the Hebrew prophets, but we don't see Jesus in that light. And because we don't see Jesus in that light, it makes it more challenging to um, see it in the Bible because we don't know how to look at it and we don't know how to find it. Um, you know, uh, Eric Butterworth did a book on Jesus, something about the religious revolutionary. I can't remember exactly. It came out maybe about four or five years ago. And he does an excellent job of explaining, um, the concept of the kingdom of God and how Jesus evolved that from his faith tradition. So, so what I'm saying is don't think old versus new. The only thing that we're really trying to promote is this. Understand the God that indwells you, that works in your soul then you'll get it. Now, we're coming up on our first break, so I want to remind you that you can go on my Facebook page and like it, Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. Also remember that this station is supported by your donations, so make sure you click on the giving button. We're going to take our first break, and we'll be right back with Truth Transforms.
are listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. To support this ministry, go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Your contribution helps us broadcast messages of love and inspiration throughout the world. Affirm the good that flows within you and stretch to reach your divine potential with daily inspirational messages from Daily Word. My affirmation of faith is, I release and I let go. I release my desire to control people or situations. I let go of fear, worry, and doubt. I trust in divine power, which is infinitely capable of establishing right outcomes. I align myself with this power through prayer and meditation. Opening my mind and heart to the wisdom of the universe, I recall the promise, I am with you always to the end of the age. With this assurance, I find the strength to let go of anything holding me back. Letting go and letting God is a choice. It empowers me to move forward with ease and confidence. It provides me peace of mind and the assurance of divine order. As I let go and let God, I open the door to infinite possibilities. Daily Word magazine is now available in a digital format. A one-year subscription to Daily Word Digital Magazine with audio is only $9.95. That's less than three cents a day to start your day right, centered and connected to the truth within you. To learn how you can subscribe to this online interactive magazine, go to www.dailyword.com. What is the secret to happiness? Why do bad things happen to good people? What is our purpose in life? What must I do to bring healing into my life? Join Rev. Paul Hasselbeck every Tuesday for a metaphysical romp. Explore fundamental unity principles put into action through real-life scenarios from people like you. Call in with your questions and spiritual challenges, and let Paul take you on a journey of profound personal understanding and transformation. That's Metaphysical Romp with Reverend Paul Hasselbeck every Tuesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in to Truth Transforms. Now, here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and we're in the midst of the series, Discover the Power Within You, based upon the book, Discover the Power Within You, by Eric Butterworth. Now, what I'm going to read now is on page 31. And basically, if you read the book, it talks about the contrast between um, how Jesus's concept was radically different from some of the things that were a part of his faith tradition. In the book of Numbers, it is written, and while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day, and they found him gathering sticks and that they found him gathering sticks, brought him unto Moses and Aaron and unto all the congregation. And they put him inward because it was not declared what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, 
the man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the without the camp and stoned him with stones and he died as the Lord commanded Moses. Numbers chapter 15 verses 32-36. Contrast this with an event of 1500 years later. And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day and his disciples began and as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto them, Behold, why do they do unto the Sabbath on the Sabbath day which that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Mark chapter 2 verses 23, 24, and 27. So but this is one of those uh, scriptures, the Old Testament number scriptures where society's law was viewed as this is what God wants. And they were trying to drive home the point of the Sabbath day. So to make sure that it was done properly, they enforced it legally. Now, for people who live in Western societies, the idea of a theocracy, which means the religion is the government, is very difficult. When you live in a democracy, it's different. Now, the children of Israel had a concept about God. I really can't believe and don't believe in a God that would say, oh, this guy is picking up sticks. And because he was caught picking up sticks on the wrong day, stone him to death. A man that probably had a wife and kids, family, responsibilities, etc. But this was people's concept of God. And for some people, this is still their concept of God. Contrast that with what Jesus taught. That. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What does that mean? That meant in Jesus's day that the rule of taking a day off of rest was something that was not necessarily done in many other cultures. The Sabbath was actually quite, uh, uh, what's the word I want to use, creative and beneficial to their family structure. Think about it. In those days, there was no such thing as um, mandatory work laws. There was no, who did you protest? There were people who were slaves. There were people who worked every day, all day, for very little pay. The ancient Hebrews actually instituted a system to where they said, God requires us to rest on this day. And you don't do any work and you don't walk so many miles away from home and you don't do all of these things. Now, a couple of things that I would have done, and I know this has nothing to do with discovering the power within you, but I want to put it in a context. It would have developed an understanding of worship that no matter what you do, this is the time you stop and you worship and you contemplate your relationship with God individually and as a nation. Two, it instituted a, a way in which labor wasn't being done on that day. So it actually allowed your body an opportunity to rest. And if your body is rested, hopefully mentally and emotionally, you can, you can step back as well. Also, what it did was it allowed you to have time with your family. So actually the Sabbath was ingenious 
The problem was they were willing to kill for it without realizing that it was supposed to serve them. They weren't supposed to serve it. I'm not promoting that people should do that now. All I'm saying is taking out time to make sure that you are are worshiping, making time that you're taking care of your own self, taking time to make sure that you're spending time with the people who you love matters. And this is the way they did it. But they, this is just Galen saying this. They got lost in the in the system without realizing the system was supposed to support them. So Jesus was basically saying, God, I mean, if you're trying to feed yourself on the Sabbath, that it makes sense. Now you got river that Jesus, all he did was travel back and forth. He had a, he had a home base, but mainly he was an itinerant preacher. He went where the people were at. So it was really important for people to understand that. Also, moving on, I don't want to stay on that point. It talks about uh, one of the Psalms. He attributes it to David. I don't know if David actually wrote this psalm. Many psalms are attributed to David. doesn't mean that he wrote them. But that's not the point of this show again. He contrasts this psalm with talking about let your children be fatherless and his wife a widow, etc., etc., to what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use and persecute you. Now, if there is any scripture that's attributed to Jesus that I can think of that you rarely hear is Matthew 5.44. Love your enemies. Bless, hear that. Bless people who curse you. That don't mean profanity. That means that they're against you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So Jesus was teaching how to take the spiritual high road, how to be in spiritual integrity in any experience by practicing this one statement. People people can say all they want about Jesus and love. It's easy to love people who love you back. It's easy to be nice to people who are nice to you. It's easy to support people who support you. It's not the easiest thing to love your so-called enemies. It's not easy to bless people who, who that curse you, who are against you. It's not easy to do good to them that hate you. Or to, and it's definitely not easy to pray for somebody's good when you know that they are trying to use you or persecute you. This was the power of the civil rights movement in the United States in the 60s. This was the power that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was teaching. This was the same power that Gandhi was teaching in India in the the beginning of the 20th century. Same principle. Because the shift that happens in consciousness of me versus you, us against them, that division disrupts our consciousness of unity. So Jesus was trying to pull us back into oneness, back into an awareness of what it means to be 
the divine expression of God. And he challenged you and he challenged me to step up to the plate and practice this teaching at a high level. When was the last time you prayed for somebody you didn't like? Not about them. When was the last time you prayed for somebody that you disagree with? Not prayed about them. Pray for their good, for their well-being, for their prosperity, for their health, for their families. It's easy to talk to Christian talk. It's easy to, as Jesus would say, your lips proclaim me, but your heart is far from me. What are your lips saying that your heart doesn't agree with right now? The heart is the subconscious feeling nature. So you feel one way, even though your mouth is saying something else. You can manipulate your mouth, but what you feel is for you is real. All right, moving along. Page 32. Middle of the page. In his discourse to the woman at the well of Samaria, Jesus said, God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The Latin word spiritus, from which we get our word spirit, comes from a root that means to breathe, to blow, to live. Spirit, then, is the life principle, the divine breath which God is breathing out as man or humanity and the universe. The word spirit implies unformed, unspecialized, unrestricted, limitless. When Jesus said God is spirit, he was not giving a definition. You can't, you cannot define God. Jesus was simply giving a guide to direct our thoughts away from finite form or from thinking of God as a superman. Now, so when we start to look at God as spirit, as the life principle, that doesn't have an image to go along with it. You know, one of the, you know, mistranslations of the older translations of the Bible, some of those old King James versions of versions before it, would translate spirit as ghosts, like the Holy Ghost. You listen, especially, I, I, I can't, I don't know where other people are that are listening to this show. But in the the faith tradition of the people that were in my family when I was a kid, they always referred to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. And the songs that were sung in some of those old churches always spoke of the Holy Ghost. So people have this image, this white energy moving, et cetera, et cetera, because they were associating it with a term that it really has nothing to do with. The Holy Spirit is not a other. It's not a God, a Jesus and the Holy Spirit in the sense of there is no Holy Spirit is just the activity of God moving in your experience. Anyway, moving on. Then Mr. Butterworth quotes Paul Tillich, who was a process theologian. And I'm not going to get into that. You can look that up on your own. But this quote is powerful. The name of this infinite and inexhaustible death and ground of all being is God. 
that depth is what the word God means. And if that word has not much meaning for you, translate it and speak of the depths of your life, the source of your being, your ultimate concern of what you take seriously without reservation. Perhaps in order to do so, you must forget everything traditional that you have learned about God, perhaps even the word itself. For if you can, excuse me, for if you know that God means depth, you know much about him. You cannot then call yourself an atheist or unbeliever, for you cannot think or say life has no depth. Life is shallow. Being itself is surface only. If you could say this in a complete, excuse me, in complete seriousness, you would be an atheist, but otherwise you are not. He who knows about depth knows about God. So Butterworth goes on and said, you do not have to look out there to find the life principle. Why? Because you're alive. He goes on and said, the life principles at work in you. Jesus called it the father within me. The life principle at work in you and as you is all knowingness. Your father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. Matthew 6, 8. It seeks ever to express and fulfill itself in and through you. It is the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Luke twelve thirty two, And it is the source of any creative power you may seem to have. I do nothing of myself. John eight twenty eight. The words I say unto you, I speak not for myself. But the father abiding in me doeth his work. John 14.10. So yet again, he's showing how this life principle shows up in many ways in our lives. And we have to be aware of that. It shows up in many ways. You know, he then says you can never be separated from God because you are an expression of God. The very self-livingness of God. God cannot forsake you any more than gravity can forsake you. As an expression of God, you are God expressing himself or itself as you. And your greatest desire should be to let him have his way. Hmm. Now, he goes on to say, the true self of you, the Christ spiritual man, is the individualization of God. You are the presence of God at the point of where you are. Just stop and accept what that means. You are the presence of God at the point that you are. You know, um, if you have a question, I do want to give people an opportunity to call in and ask a question during the last segment. Um, you can call 888-558-6489, 888-558-6489. If you have any questions so we can, you know, wrap it up during the last segment. I'll be teaching a couple of other things I think are, uh, I think are really important, really, really important about prayer and God's will and grace, but it won't take that long. So if you have questions, make sure you call in. Don't forget that you can join Christ Universal Temple online at 1030 a.m. to 12 noon. Central Standard Time at www.cutemple.org. And you can go on Facebook and like my page, Truth Transforms, with Reverend Galen McDowell. And always remember that this show is supported by your donation, so make sure you click on the donate button and support the show. Uh, we'll be right back with Truth Transforms.
Do you think you know all you want to know about the characters in the Bible? Do you know who could be called the king who loved too much? Or what it means to be a Jezebel? Or that the best love story in the Bible begins with the declared commitment of two women? The Bible's symbolic meaning can help you transform your life and discover the presence and power of God within you. Find out what these characters can teach you about your own life today by tuning into Biblical Power for Your Life. Each week, co-hosts Reverends Karen Tudor and E.J. Niles present a Bible character from a historical, cultural, psychological, and symbolic perspective. Your comments and questions are part of this lively discussion. Tune in every Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, and power up your life only at Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. been listening to Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. If you have questions or comments about today's program, or if you'd like to join in on the discussion, email us at truthtransforms at unity.fm. Now back to Truth Transforms. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and we're wrapping up today's show on Discover the Power Within You, which is based upon the book Discover the Power Within You by Eric Butterworth. All right. If you have your book, turn to page 34. Actually, the bottom of page 32. The last line says, you are an individualized part, but the whole is always in the part. Thus, God is within you. However, God is not in you in the same sense that a raisin is in a bun. That is not unity. God is in you as the ocean is in the wave. The wave is nothing more nor less than the ocean expressing as a wave. I'm going to read the next paragraph and then I'll explain it. Sometimes in the study of metaphysics, we are so zealous to erase the idea of a personal God that we talk of God is mind, God is principle, God is substance. But we do not emphasize God as me. Even when we refer to God as mind, it is a mind somewhere. We may use affirmations in place of the old form of supplicatory prayer. But we may still be reaching out and straining up to God out there. Though God is not a person, yet God is personal. That's key. There's nothing impersonal about God, mind, and me. It is my mind at the point of God, mind. But it is my mind. I am sustained by the life principle, but the principle is expressing as me. It is my life. It is me. This is the great unitive idea that Jesus taught. The Father and I are one, not two, but one. The Father in me is me on a higher dimension of living. Now, I think this is so powerful. That God isn't in us like a raisin is in a bun. God is in us like the ocean is in the wave. The wave is the ocean expressing itself. Sometimes, you know, we, when we say, when we do, we say terms like turn within, 
turn to the God in you. We're trying to emphasize to people to stop looking outside of themselves for the answers. But when we look within, we're not saying that the answer is something that's separate from you. Or that God is something separate from you. Or your salvation from from ill health or poverty or, or in harmony or whatever is bothering you is something outside of you. We're saying it's in you, but it's in the real you. So when you get to know the real you, you know God. Now, that's something for us to really ponder. Now, does that mean you know the totality of what that means? No, I'm not saying that. Because you're an individualized expression of God. But but the concept of of understanding the totality of God I just is not even something that I think that the mind can wrestle on. What 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 else would you do when you start thinking about infinite galaxies? And and you look up in the in the sky and realize that every star you see is a sun with its own solar system. And some of the stars you see, you're just seeing the light from a star that's no longer in existence. But it took light years for it to get here. That's how big God is and more. And that's how big you are. Because you're one with that which creates galaxies, solar systems, and the universe material and spiritual. There's something to think about. You're that big. From the creation of the most minute cell to the arrangement of the Milky Way and beyond is the omnipresence of God, the omniscience of God, the omnipotence of God. All right, moving on. Page 34. Jesus' unique concept of God reveals a new concept of prayer. Prayer has usually been directed at God. Thus, the typical prayer begs and pleads. It is couched in pious language, is carefully intoned, and uses vain repetitions. Jesus said, your father knoweth what things you have need of even before you ask him. In Jesus' concept, Prayer is not for God, but for you. You pray, not to change something in God's mind, but in your own. So when we are praying, we're forming the mental equivalent in our own consciousness. When we are praying, we're getting clarity and conviction. When we pray, we're lifting up our awareness beyond the level of thinking that created the problem in the first place. When we pray, we're making our minds open and receptive so we can catch the inspiration of God, our own indwelling presence. So prayer isn't God up there, do this for me. Prayer is a shift in consciousness that allows you to realize your oneness with spirit because we all go on our day and do our own thing without necessarily tuning in you know 
wherever you're at right now, if you had a satellite dish or or internet, et cetera, you'll find out that every TV station is right where you're at. If you had a cable box and a TV or a satellite dish and a TV, you can plug them in. If you have electricity, and you'll discover that HBO is right where you're at or any other TV station. Or you put, plug in a radio, you turn up the antenna, you'll discover that your local radio stations are in the room that you're in right now. It's there, but you're unaware of it because you don't have something to c- connect to the signal. Well, your consciousness connects with the peace and the love and the prosperity and the joy and the health and the wisdom of God. That's why we pray. He goes on to say, Jesus' prayers were unlike anything that had ever been heard before his time. Obviously, they were disturbing to the conservative Pharisees. Jesus seemed to have an inflated ego. He was so confident in the results of his prayers that his effects almost seemed brazen. Mm. And they talked about why he had such confidence. Eric Butterworth said, how could he be so sure? Why is the mathematician so sure of his computations? Why does he have such confidence that the principle will support his conclusion? Simply because he knows it is a principle. He never thinks of accusing the principle of mathematics for any error that he may make. So when we're working things out through life, we work the principle. We don't say anything is wrong with the principle. We go back and through our uh, understanding of the principle and try to work out the error so we can get the results we desire. Because two plus two is four everywhere. On the moon. On Jupiter and another galaxy, two plus two equals four because math is absolute. And what does that mean? That it doesn't change. One is always one. One apple, one orange, one car, one person, one phone, one building. One is one. Now, moving on. On page 36, he says, prayer can never influence God to be less than God or more than God. God is light and peace and love and wisdom. And it does not matter who is praying or what the cause. The answer must be light and peace and love and wisdom. This is why Jesus used the son as a symbol for God. He quotes Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. He, he wrote, he maketh his son to rise on the evil and the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Hmm. A couple of lines down it states, there is no place where God is not. He, I would say it, is not selective. He is there and anyone, he is there where anyone opens his mind to accept the within of himself. Last point I'll be teaching today is on grace, which is on page 37, the bottom. Now, when I said that you are spiritually asleep, there's no power beyond the human in you that is not actually true for the very special reason, aiming actively the activity of what we call the grace of God. 
This aspect of the divine makeup of man has unfortunately been made too theologically dogmatic or too metaphysically mystical. We must understand grace for it is an important facet of Jesus's unique concept of God. Again, you remember that in the Gospel of John, it says the law came through Moses. Grace came through Jesus Christ. It states you are beloved of God simply because you are the activity of God living itself out into expression is you. God loves you because God is love and thus love is your true nature. Moving down. God's will is the ceaseless longing of the creator to fulfill himself in and through you and and as that which he created. God's will for you is perfect life, perfect wisdom, perfect love. And then he talks about reaping what you sow and divine law, which is absolutely true. But he says that God's desire in you to express perfectly through you is so great that you never completely reap the harvest of ever error and always reap more than you sow of good. Isn't that something? That in the midst of it all, love is seeking to make sure that you're blessed in spite of your own thinking, in spite of your own feelings, in spite of your own words, in spite of your own actions or reactions. Yes, this is a universe governed by law, but the grace of God transcends even it. Emmett Fox once wrote in the Sermon on the Mount that Christ is Lord over karma. So whatever state of consciousness you are at that created the experiences you're going through, when you elevate and you get a realization of your true Christ nature, the grace of God transcends whatever reaping and sowing you created on another level of thinking. I just want you to ponder that. It's the real realization of oneness. And I've quoted this before, but I love this quote. When, uh, the first time I ever heard Reverend Coleman on tape, uh, I, I had never been to the church. And she was talking about some vans or something traveling from Chicago to Miami to the church. That's, uh, I'm assuming it was Universal Truth Center in Miami. And she said, you know, she blessed the fans and et cetera. And then she started talking about um, people walking down the street who were looking kind of funny, she said, quote, unquote. And she said, if you realize that God will never do anything to harm himself, the people can't do anything if they wanted to. And it dawned on me just at what level of oneness she was really speaking from. God can never do anything to harm himself. So you don't have to worry about God punishing you because you're the self-expression of God. Really get into what it means to be one with God. We're going to stop right here because we run out of time. Um, Again, continue to work with the book. We're going to be working with this series for several weeks until we get finished. So God bless you and, and join us again on the next time. Next week, Wednesday, for Truth Transforms. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. Join us every Wednesday at 10 a.m. for live discussions about how to live a spiritually transformed, prosperous, healthy, and joyful life. Truth Transforms, only on Unity Online Radio. 
This program is brought to you in part by Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. Online at www.cutemple.org and on Facebook and Twitter under CU Temple. You've seen reality TV. Well, now get ready for reality radio. It's raw, unpredictable, and completely unscripted. Healing Your Life with Dr. Chris Michaels follows the lives of four people each season as they face their fears and overcome challenges. Listen in weekly and follow along as they take each faithful step on their journey. Learn what it takes to really heal your life. Dr. Chris Michaels shows you how to expect specific and measurable results from prayer. He says we must place a demand upon consciousness. We don't hope to get what we pray for. We expect it. As a 25-year veteran in the New Thought Movement, Dr. Chris has helped thousands of people find their way to success and healing. His faith is unshakable, and his commitment to helping others heal through the power of prayer is extraordinary. Don't miss Reality Radio, Healing Your Life with Dr. Chris Michaels, live Mondays at 11 a.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio. Repeat the words, God is taking care of it, and it will become clear that you are the channel and that God is the doer of good works through you. This meditative moment, adapted from Mary Cupferly's God Will See You Through, is brought to you by Unity. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach. Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, Don't take your dreams lying down.